Grace and peace, everybody. It's Pastor Leon, and this is Pastor Cast number 43. And we are in episode three of our series on the book of Habakkuk. Um, I'm glad that I started back doing the podcast again. I've, I've kind of missed it. And we're going to do some more things as well. Uh, there's going to be some other folks that will be on the podcast a little bit later. Um, but I'm going to do this seven-part series on the book of Habakkuk first, and we'll do a couple of episodes every week because uh, none of us have anything to do. <laughs> and so <laughs> this is what I'm doing. I'm working uh, and uh, working on doing things like this so that we can all stay connected so that uh, those who are out there that had subscribed uh, to the Pastor Cast in the past uh, would be able to have new episodes and for those who have not subscribed to it yet, would they be able to do that and then be able to go back and listen to some of the stuff that we've done in the past? Um, but, you know, this is an opportune time for us to do these kinds of things, you know, to figure out new ways to be community, to figure out new ways to uh, to communicate with each other. And for me as a pastor, this is finding out new ways then to be connected to my congregation and to the wider congregation that I'm ministering to as well. Uh, to folks that listen to uh, some of the sermons that we do, uh, some folks that are not part of our church that uh, tune in, people that I've known for years, friends, relatives, I mean, all the folks that are connected uh, to to me and to my congregation. It's a great way for us to be able to stay connected. And the book of Habakkuk that we're uh, doing this series on is from the Old Testament, what uh, is also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. And Habakkuk was a prophet that was prophesied during a time of crisis when there was a lot of uncertainty and people didn't know what was going to happen next. They didn't know uh, what was going to be happening in the future. There was a lot of anxiety. Uh, there were there was war. There were rumors of war. Uh, there was all of these things that were happening. Uh, and then ultimately there was going to be destruction. Uh, in the time of Habakkuk, that's when the Babylonians uh, came and destroyed uh, Jerusalem destroyed the temple and took a whole bunch of people back to Babylon to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And there was what what began the Babylonian captivity of the Hebrew people uh, that was uh, lasted that lasted for a whole generation over seventy years. And so Habakkuk is prophesying during that time period. And the interesting thing about Habakkuk, as we've mentioned before, is that uh, like a lot of prophets, you know, he said some things that were hard to hear. Um, but uh, unlike some of the prophets that we find in the Hebrew scriptures, Habakkuk actually went to God on behalf of the people. Usually it was the other way around. Uh, the prophets would go to the people on behalf of God. They would have a word from the Lord to give to the people, saying essentially to them, uh, here's what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. Uh, if you don't fix this, there's going to be an outcome. This is what the outcome is going to look like. I'm going to paint a picture of what this is going to look like. And, and if you don't want it to look like that, then you need to change. Or they would also uh, paint a picture of what it could be like if they did what they were supposed to, right? Um, and so prophets did that kind of work in Hebrew culture, in the ancient Hebrew world. Uh, but Habakkuk does it a little different. He goes to God and actually has an argument with God on behalf of the people. You know, like, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Uh, why are you filling us with so much anxiety, dread, and uncertainty? What is going on? And so that's what Habakkuk is doing. And I feel like he speaks for a lot of us right now, you know, because we're in an uncertain time and, and it gets more and more uncertain, I think, every day. If there was a time limit on this, if there was uh, just somebody would say, hey, you just got to do this for another two weeks, another three weeks, even another month. I mean, if we if we just knew, right, 
that there was an end game to this whole thing. Uh, and we knew when it was. Then everybody could get their mind on it. We could put that date on our calendar. We could get there, and then we would all high-five each other, uh, probably still wearing uh, plastic gloves and, and hand sanitizer. <laughs> but we would, we would all high-five each other, and then we'd go out, and we would go to our local establishments and start partying, right? We would have a celebration, um, because we would know the end was coming. We could point to it and we could get there, but we just don't have that information and we don't even know, you know, it's like, it just seemed to be like no end in sight. Um, and so that has weighed on a lot of us and it's caused a lot of folks, uh, to be filled with some dread and some worry. And of course the economy, uh, is not, uh, responding well to any of this. Who knew that the economy would respond poorly to people not working, <laughs> And everything being shut down, um, you know, this is the the result of what's happened now is that we are in the midst of an economic crisis as well as a health crisis. So it's on all fronts that we're facing these enemies uh, that we are facing. Much like the people of Judah in the ancient world uh, had to face the uncertainty of their time. So um, here's what I want to do. I just want to kind of talk a little bit about uh what uh, we did last week, just to, or last week, I did the the uh, um, or this last episode we did uh, where Habakkuk goes to God and and shouts at God, demanding that God do something to deal with the injustice that the prophet was seeing all around him. And so this time we're going to talk about uh, how God uh, responds, and we're going to take a long and difficult look at the God's uh, at God's answer to Habakkuk from Habakkuk chapter one verses five through eleven. So Habakkuk goes to God and basically says, why is all this happening? What are you doing? What are you up to? Do something. You've got to respond. And he, you know, sort of shouts and screams at God uh, to, to make things better. And so this is what God says in response. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So uh, Habakkuk goes to God and is pretty raw says, God, what are you doing? What's happening? What's going on in this world? Do something about this. Fix it. Make it better. I'm screaming at you. I'm shouting at you. This is not great. This is where we are. Do something. And so God responds by basically saying, yeah, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to raise up these people that are going to come and wreak havoc. I mean, first, there had been silence, right? You know, but, but this was not 
the response that Habakkuk was hoping for because there was silence first, which caused Habakkuk to start shouting. Uh, and basically Habakkuk is saying, where are you? What are you doing? Why don't you fix this? Isn't what you're all, isn't this what you're all about? It's about justice. It's about, um, you know, shalom. I mean, this is what you want, right? God had been silent when the world seemed to be crumbling all around Habakkuk. God was silent when greed was rampant. God was silent when injustice was ruling the day. God was silent when people were turning away from God. God was silent through all of that stuff. And so Habakkuk shouts and screams at God, where are you? What are you doing? And then God speaks. And it was a terrible and comforting answer in a mysterious and disturbing way. It's a bunch of paradox, right? It's like a paradox in itself. It's like a whole bunch of these moments that just don't make a whole lot of sense. Because when I pray, I mean, I often prescribe the answer to my prayers. I don't know if you do the same thing, but I do. I'll pray fervently that God will work something out in my favor. And then I'll add at the end of it all, if it be your will. You know, that's kind of the the caveat that a lot of us will throw in there. I mean, we're trying to be like Jesus because that's what Jesus said. Only when Jesus said it, he meant it because he was Jesus, right? When he said, not your will, but but not my will, but thy will or your will be done to God. That's what he said when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was asking God, let this cup, let this thing pass, this suffering pass, if it be your will, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus meant it when he said that, obviously because he went on and then went to the cross, even though um, he was asking for it to be some other way, right? There was there was the humanness of Jesus in that moment, uh, feeling exactly the way that we do when we're facing something horrible. Um, and, and so when we pray, you know, I think a lot of times Christians will do that. We'll throw in uh, that if it be your will caveat. But the truth be told, <laughs> most of us don't even really mean that last bit when we say it, especially when it's something that's really important to us. I mean, if we're praying for something that we desperately want, I mean, I think I add that last line because I don't want to upset God. You know, it's sort of like, um, I'm going to throw this in here <laughs> because I don't want to make you too mad, you know, but I, I, but this is kind of what I want. So, you know, if it be your will, I mean, you know, it's the equivalent of deciding with your spouse about where to go to dinner. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to seem like you're, you're being oafish or, you know, acting like, you know, that you really want to go to a particular place, right? So you just sort of act like you don't really care what the outcome is, but you do. You know, well, you know, we could either go to Torchy's Tacos or we could get some barbecue, whatever you like. Well, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me either. You pick. Well, if it doesn't really matter, how about barbecue? Unless you want that or unless you don't want that. Well, we just had barbecue last week. Okay, well, that's fine. We could do torchies, even though it's a little more expensive and, and you know, it, it, it probably doesn't appeal to everybody. Okay, well, then let's just have some barbecue. Seriously, I don't care where we eat. We don't have to eat even anything if you don't want to eat anything. Fine with me. Let's not even eat. But I really wanted barbecue. <laughs> I mean, you, has anybody ever been there? You know, where you have that conversation that just goes round and round where where you're trying to figure out what the other person wants. But deep inside, you know, what you want is really what you want. And you're trying to to figure out how to get to that place. It's like when we say, if it be your will to God, we actually believe that God isn't really paying attention to that. Or at least we hope that God isn't paying attention to that last little bit, because what we're really saying is do this according to my will. So what happens what happens? What happens when we don't get the answer that we want? What happens when we don't get an, the answer that 
you know, is even remotely what we want? What happens when we get an answer that is absolutely the opposite of what we want? I mean, this is where Habakkuk finds himself in this very moment. He comes to God looking for answers, demanding a break to God's silence. I mean, he's got something very clear in mind when it comes to the response to his prayer. He wants God to to find resolution. He wants God to fix it. He wants God to tell him that this is going to be, there's an end to this, that it's going to be okay. And instead, God gives him a terrible response. Now, what I've learned and what we see happening here is that God doesn't really explain God's self. God reveals God's self. Okay? So God is not about explanations. God is about revelations. I mean, we want to know why things are happening and what God is going to do about it. God, you know, merely shows up, right? And uses even the most unlikely means to demonstrate God's power, God's will, God's plans, God's desires in most unexpected ways. But we want to know why. We want to have an explanation rather than a revelation. And this is where I think I struggle with this the most, right? Because, I mean, I understand that what I'm dealing with here is um, 6th century BCE uh, Hebrew prophecy that is largely poetic, that um, in a lot of ways um, reveals more about the person who is speaking than it does about uh, perhaps even what God is up to, to a certain extent, because it's the person's understanding of what God is saying and what God is doing. But even in the midst of that, right, you get this depth of perception. You get a depth uh, of this soul searching that occurs with the prophet himself uh, as he's trying desperately to figure out what God is up to. And you see, you get a glimpse then of how most of us, how a lot of us, uh, you know, try to work when we try to figure out what God is doing. So where is God revealed in this terrible answer that God gives to Habakkuk that the Babylonians are going to be raised up and they're going to come and do all this horrible stuff? That's the answer that God gives. He's like, okay, you've asked for help. You've asked for resolution. You've asked for shalom. This is the answer instead. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to get worse before it gets better. For that matter, where is God revealed when we pray our own prayers, right, that seem to get answered in the most negative ways? I would guess that there's a lot of people praying right now, praying for the resolution of this coronavirus, praying that uh, all of this will end so they can go back to work, uh, praying that um, their life savings doesn't get frittered away uh, as they're getting close to retirement, praying that they don't... <laughs> try to kill their children because they've been sitting home with them <laughs> for the past two weeks with nothing to do. Um, you know, so I mean, lots of people are praying now. So how can we see God revealed when we pray for all these things and they don't seem to happen? How can we see God revealed when we pray for the healing of a loved one, perhaps, and they're taken from us in death? How can we see God revealed when we pray for relief from our financial woes, when we lose our job? I mean, how can we see God revealed when we pray that our relationships will be strengthened and, and they fall apart instead? How can we see God revealed when we pray that, that there'll be wars, uh, the wars would end in our world and there would be a peace that would reign, um, and yet we keep going to war? I mean, one thing that's been interesting about this whole coronavirus, and this was something that I, I saw, I was reading earlier, that even... ISIS, right? <laughs> Even this terrorist organization that has just absolutely wreaked havoc in the Middle East. 
um, they're telling their fighters to just take it, take a break for a while because they don't want to go somewhere where they're going to get the coronavirus and die. So, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this virus is that it's leveled the playing field for everybody, right? Um, I read somewhere where uh, that because everything had to shut down in China, they're actually seeing blue sky for the first time in a long time because uh, there's not as much pollution. You know, so when you talk about how uh, can we see God revealed in all these things, right? I mean, there's glimmers of it there, but what happens when all this is over? You know, what happens when it does finally end? You know, we go back to doing all the things that uh, we were doing before. But here we are in the middle of a pandemic, right? We're in the middle of all this stuff, and many people are praying, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of good response. The responses that we seem to get just seem to be more and more bad news. And it didn't take long. <clears throat> it didn't take long for people to start equating this virus and all the things that are happening with a plague that was sent by God. Because that's what happens here in this text, right? The prophet is having this conversation with God, right? And the response that God gives is, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. I'm going to do this, right? Because of your faithlessness, because of the fact that there have been things that have gone wrong with you as a people, you've left me. This is the natural sort of uh, direction that's going to happen. This is what was prophesied, that if you break your covenant with God, then you'll find yourself in bad situations and you're now in a bad situation. And so I'm going to raise up these Babylonians and they're going to do some work. Because it's easier for us then to say that this was this came from something else, right? Right. That this thing was a, a punishment. The Babylonians were a punishment that God did this right. Um, somehow because of something that we have done wrong. It's easier for us to just say that, right. That there has to be some sort of purpose in it rather than it just happened. You know, that it just happened, you know, because when it just happened, then some people would say, well, then if it just happened, then, then, then is God powerless to stop this? You know, and, and if that's the case, then, then that throws everything that we're thinking into question. That throws everything we think about God into question. So what I would say to that is, and what I've said before, is that, that God doesn't cause all things, but God is in the midst of all things. And this is something that Habakkuk, I think, is struggling to figure out. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, to begin with, we hear God sort of speaking for God's self. Uh, and, and that's not what Habakkuk is sort of distancing himself from what God is saying here. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, at the very beginning, I mean, there's all these adjectives like, look, watch, be utterly amazed. I'm about to do a new thing, right? It's kind of that sort of language. But then all of a sudden it goes south because, uh, God says he's going to raise up a bunch of people who are treacherous and impetuous and who want to wreak havoc, um, who, um, you know, are basically the kinds of people uh, who are who lack a sense of justice. Uh, they mock kings. They scoff at rulers. I mean, all of these things. Right. There's they're they're a law to themselves. God says to these people. One of the, the phrases that you hear sometimes in the Old Testament when things are about to go south, right, within history, like within the Hebrew history, when all of a sudden there's on a there's a downturn, uh, when when everything starts to go poorly for them, 
it's always predicated by some sort of phrase. And, and this is what happens in a lot of the, the stories in, in the Old Testament is it will begin with, in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were a law unto themselves. So it's interesting then, it's interesting that, that Habakkuk is screaming and praying that God would end the violence in Judah, end injustice, end the rejection of God in favor of the gods of power, to end all these things, right? Uh, Habakkuk wanted revival, and, and that's not what he got. He got retribution. It wasn't exactly the answer that, that he wanted. But the qualities that God seems to despise and revile in the Babylonians are the very same qualities that God's own people seem to possess, according to Habakkuk. They sowed violence. They, they, they allowed injustice. There was the rejection of true worship. Uh, it was this sort of thing if everyone did what is right in their own eyes. And it's almost like God was holding up a mirror to them, saying, this is who you are. Is this an instance where God is behaving badly, or could we be completely missing the point when it comes to that? Because remember, God gives revelations, not explanations. In Mark chapter 13, verse 7, we hear some of words of Jesus that are some of the most difficult to grasp for those of us who are faced with the reality of God's terrible and comforting answers. He tells his disciples that they're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and there will be a terrible answer from God regarding their prayers. And then Jesus says to them, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Destruction is coming, but do not be troubled. Wars are all around us. Do not be troubled. There will be fear and anxiety. Do not be troubled. People will die of hunger. Do not be troubled. The economy will fail. Do not be troubled. Friends and loved ones will disappoint you. Do not be troubled. You will be filled with doubt. Do not be troubled. This is all from Mark chapter 13. It's all from Jesus' own words. Who says this in the face of such terrible things? These are either the words of a crazy person or of somebody who knows something of the nature of God. You see, Habakkuk struggled to figure this out. Habakkuk struggled to understand. There was something about God's purpose in Habakkuk's struggle the way that he sort of worked it out, but it wasn't the full picture. And we get that with Jesus, that these things are going to happen. Stuff is going to happen. Bad things will happen. Sometimes really bad things, like a virus that threatens the whole world. And we have a decision to make, though, in those moments, right? We can either, we can either say that Jesus knows what he's talking about, that Jesus knows a bit about the heart of God and what God is up to and that we don't need to be troubled, that this isn't about an explanation, it's about a revelation, that there's going to be something that's going to come out of this that's going to make things even better than we could possibly imagine, that we're going to live into the hope of that. You see, what's embedded in Jesus' own words from Mark 13 are some truths that we got to embrace if we're going to understand more fully what it means to see God revealed even in the most terrible of circumstances. And this is what uh, Habakkuk struggled with, right? 
Um, because Habakkuk, I think, got this, but didn't understand it fully because he didn't have the full revelation, I think, of Jesus and Jesus' understanding of God's heart because Jesus was connected to God in a way that no other human being could be connected to God as God. God holds a mirror up to his people when he describes the Babylonians, right? The Babylonians very very nearly assume lordship of their own lives. Their God is their own strength, their own power. We need to embrace our brokenness and our frailty. We need to live into that, right? In humility. You know, there's, there's always a smack of pride that accompanies any sort of crisis that we find ourselves in, right? There's something at the heart of it that if you can if you can go back to like how could we have avoided this? There's always pride that drives it, right? The need for people to be their own god. So God is God and we are not. The second thing we need to know is there's a plan. I mean that there is a purpose. There's there's an arc to this whole thing that bends towards justice. Uh, at Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, the, the prophet speaks to them in this way, for I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. Um, Jesus himself talked about that. I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, and if I go there, um, I will come again and I will take you to where I am. You know, like there's a future that where God already is. And God's plan for redemption and rescue is underway already. There is a future that already exists where God awaits us on the other side of all of this junk. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that rescue, to be a part of it, and to embrace humility and to know that there's hope on the other side of it. Third, the plan is on schedule. God has God's timing, right? There's, there's a sense of time that we have, which in the Greek would be uh, chronos, right? The time that we have that's linear that we sort of understand. And then there's kairos, uh, God's timing, which is holy timing, which is outside of our understanding of timing. You know, when sometimes when people um, speak in platitudes about God and God's will, I just sometimes want to throw up on my mouth just a little bit. You know, you ever have someone say to you that God answers prayers in his time? No, but this Hallmark card bit of theology is actually right on the money. <laughs> I mean, God, God does things in God's timing, God's kairos time, what the scripture might call the fullness of time, right? That's, that's what it says in, in the scripture. The apostle Paul said, you know, in the fullness of time had come, you know, God did something through Christ, that there was a perfect moment, a kairos moment. And we've had these kinds of moments in our own lives. We've had moments where we felt the Kairos timing. And so this is on schedule. Whatever is ahead of us, the rescue that's ahead is on schedule. Fourth, this plan that is on schedule is part of God's great big story of redemption. I mean, it's easy to get hung up on those terrible answers, right, that, that Habakkuk got. It's easy for us to sort of fixate on that. And, you know, for a lot of people, that this is kind of where they're stuck right now. For a lot of Christians, this is obviously... Uh, some sort of uh, retribution for the, the, you know, the evil of mankind, the evil of humankind. Um, I've already heard those things happening. You know, Christians really screwing up theology and saying stupid stuff on social media. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's just ridiculous the kind of things that people say as they try to make sense uh, of this, you know, and try to attribute God with some sort of judgment and some sort of horribleness, right? 
the thing that I love best about God's description of the Babylonians is that they're smaller than God, right? They don't get the last word. They don't get to win, you know? I mean, so ultimately, even these people that, you know, if you take Habakkuk's sort of perspective, even the people that God seems to be, quote unquote, raising up, um, you know, they're below God. They don't get to win. They don't get to be successful. And in fact, that's what history proves when it comes to the Babylonians. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, he demonstrated that even sin and death don't get to win. And so often I think that Christians expend a lot of energy trying to prove, you know, God's ultimate righteousness or God's ultimate justice or God's ultimate goodness to try to find meaning and purpose in every sort of tragedy, every sort of thing. You know, we spend so much time trying to deliver explanations that we miss the revelation of God in the midst of all of it. Because God gives revelations and not explanations. And if we're going to follow the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ, we, we only need to trust and hear those words anew, the, tr- the words that Jesus gave his disciples when he talked about all the things that would happen, that were going to happen in the world, that we could expect these things to happen, but we should not be troubled. Don't be troubled, Jesus said. So here's what I would say to you if you're struggling to try to find meaning in this, if you're struggling to figure out where God is in the midst of it, What you need to look for is you need to look for the moments of hope. Look for the glimmers of beauty. Look for the moments of peace and shalom and quiet, the connections that you're able to make to take your anxieties and to channel them into doing something worthwhile and purposeful and meaningful for the kingdom of God. Even where you are, even where you sit, you are given an opportunity. You have influence. You have people that you could connect to. You have things that you could be doing in creative ways to live out uh, your faith in a God that is on time with all of the, the redemption and rescue that is ahead of us, that there's a hopeful future for all of us, uh, and that we just need to trust that God is God and we are not, and that this virus, this thing that has happened, it will be overcome, just like all of the enemies of God's kingdom are overcome. There's a shelf life for it, and we're going to see that. So do not be troubled. Hallelujah, guys. Grace and peace. Uh, We will see you again soon. We're going to be doing another two episodes next week, so I hope that you'll uh, tune in uh, and give us your feedback. Um, You can email me at uh, leon, L-E-O-N, at shpc.org. If you have any questions about anything that we're doing here on the podcast, Uh, And I look forward to doing more of these. We're going to have some more folks on podcasts here soon. We've got plenty of time and uh, plenty of opportunities to do that. Uh, And so I hope you'll be staying, you'll stay listening. We'll talk to you soon, guys. Have a great week.